Shift. Run. Stop. Hello listeners and welcome to Shift Run Stop. Leila and I have got a very special treat in store for you this year. We've made a list, we've checked it twice, and we've shoved the results right into the very end of the toe of your stocking. In fact, I'm hoping you've got two stockings because we've got a special festive two-parter for you this year. In this episode, we will get to know comedy presenter and geek songstress Helen Arney. And as soon as you finish that, don't forget to also download part two, in which we will revisit with the ghost of Christmas past our first ever guest, Adam Tandy, and we'll reminisce about 40 years of the BBC Micro. We're lucky to be able to feature music in both of these episodes from the very talented LJ Rich and generous recorded contributions from Bill Thompson, Tim Vickerstaff and Stephen Goodwin. Thank you all. So prepare your ears. It's part one. Merry Christmas one and all. Thanks for doing this, Helen. It's so nice to see you. And thank you for uh, finally, we've tried many times to get you on Shift Run Stop. So it's delightful to have you. It is extremely exciting to be, well, I was going to say to be out of the house, but I'm in my house, but I'm not in my house alone, which is really nice. <laughs> you had a lockdown baby, Helen. How's all that going? That was the best thing that happened in 2020 for us. <laughs> the only good thing in yeah, the entire it's pretty year. much the only good thing. Uh, although it was topped in 2021 when I had a hamster named after me at a hamster rescue centre. So. Oh, it's a close run thing. Was 2020 a better year? Was 2021 a better year? Ooh. It's just as well they happened in different years because yeah. then you don't have to. <laughs> I don't have to choose. Yeah, it's pretty good, actually. I hadn't thought of it that way. But yeah. Phew, that's a close one, isn't it? <laughs> so how did you get a hamster named after you? What, what's the story there? I feel like there's a story. They get a lot of hamsters because it's a hamster rescue. And I mean, hamsters... They um, they have short but glorious lives, and there yes. are a lot of them around. <laughs> and a lot of people got them during lockdown. They didn't know how to look after them. They multiplied. The mm. Hamster Hotel takes in um. any hamsters. Uh, it's an amazing institution run by, like, two people who love hamsters. Uh, and they just obviously just start running out of names. <laughs> Of people to, of names for hamsters because then the ones that come to them they either don't have names or they sort of they they re rebrand them for their mm. new forever home potentially and they look after them and make them well again um, and yeah they were just started naming them after comedians and oh, uh, people that they liked <laughs> and so there's a Steve there's a Matt. <laughs> Uh, and there's a Helen. So oh. the three of us from Festival of the Spoken Nerd have got hamsters named after us. Uh, and it, it's actually, I think it's one of the nicest things that's ever happened to me. My hamster is absolutely gorgeous. Looks nothing like me. Doesn't have glasses. <laughs> got light brown hair. Uh, you know, it's not a 40-year-old woman. Uh, it's, very, it's very different from me. Um, but she's beautiful. Um, and I just don't now want to find out what happens to her because mm. um, I just want to keep her image in my mind yeah. as a happy rescued hamster going off to her forever home. Yeah. Well, she'll be Helen Arnie forever. And in two years' time, it's just best not to ask too many questions about what's happening <laughs> to Helen Arnie the hamster. I couldn't tell my five-year-old daughter about it, which is really upsetting oh. because I knew what would happen that next week we would own a hamster named after me and it would be living in our house. So I just had to keep it secret from her because I knew what would happen otherwise. Worse would be a hamster named after you and maybe another hamster named after, I don't know, like Brian Cox or somebody. And then you'd, you'd have the potential for an infinite number of hamsters. Right? <laughs> Let's do an experiment in mathematical exponentiation. <laughs> so you start with two hamsters on the first day of Christmas. On the second day of Christmas, you have six hamsters. On the third day of Christmas, <laughs> yeah, I think that's going to be... Um, that's a, 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 an experiment best left as a thought experiment. <laughs> it makes me think... Of the infinite monkey cage, Robin Ince could have been the male hamster and then you could have had a, a, a tie-in with that as well. <laughs> I love how uh, how um, mild our celebrity tie-ins are. <laughs> it's, just, it's a hamster hostel <laughs> naming its hamsters after like 
<laughs> performance performers who haven't really performed for a year and have been on maternity leave i'm like i'm right there in the public eye people i'm right there teaming up with oh robin it's a man who's just toured a hundred bookshops across the uk i mean we are we're talking serious mid-level celebrity mid to low level celebrity in my case so uh, yeah i love how ambitious this is <laughs> Shift, run, stop. Do you realise that the thing that all three of us have in common is mm. the 2012 Boring Conference? All three of us oh, were on stage yes. at that event. Yeah. Of course. Nine years ago. Oh, my So gosh. Labour spoke yeah. about IBM Tills, I think it was. Um, yeah. Do you remember what your what your talk was, Helen? Yeah, it was the um, Yamaha PSR175 Portatone Portable Keyboard Open Brackets Discontinued Close Brackets. <laughs> exactly so. And I was on stage literally as you walked off, I walked on. So that was quite a hard act to follow, the Yamaha oh, PSR wow. 175 portable <laughs> keyboard discontinued. I think the, the Yamaha PSR 175 Portstone portable keyboard, <laughs> open brackets, discontinued, close brackets, is a hard act for anyone to follow. Exactly. So don't feel bad. I'd, I'd prepared all these brilliant visuals and suddenly I was, I was uh, knocked back into place again. <laughs> you were upstaged by a keyboard that if you press yeah. uh, a particular button, it shouts, DJ! <laughs> it's so the one funny. we all remember from school because yeah, I think oh I'm about the same age as you and it was the one that we had in our in our music room and then the music it was like a D flat went ooh baby or something completely <laughs> inappropriate and it was just it was horrendous it's, it's going to be some people having flashbacks not realising that the keyboard they learnt keyboarding on at school was a Yamaha PSR 175 Portstone portable keyboard they're not going to realise they're not going to get flashbacks there was it kind of did a shouty like one two three four and you could it had like the pre-recorded beats but then this was what was revelatory though that you could have a keyboard sound that was all of those different elements broken down you could make your own beats and we did. I think I did, yeah. I think I, I came up with a Teenage Mutant Hero Turtles rap. And uh, oh, amazing. The, the numbers one, two, three, and four featured quite prominently probably <laughs> the word DJ. DJ! Yeah. <laughs> so did you, how did you come by this keep? Because you, I mean, for listeners who weren't at the 2012 boring conference, Helen actually had this keep. <laughs> and, and by the way, there are and... very few of our listeners who weren't at the 2012 <laughs> That's true. It was quite a very, very high overlap. Um, Helen's, uh, yeah, Helen's, Helen's um, performance was was with the actual keyboard, so you must have tracked it down. Was it like a memory from school, and you were like, "I have to have that," in the same way that we might do with with old computers now? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Remember that till you once knew the like, yes. Um, so uh, I didn't have that keyboard. I I swear that one of us still did. I rang all my I rang both my all my sisters as if I've got like a hundred. Both my sisters. Uh, and uh, they didn't remember it. My parents couldn't find it, so we must have got rid of it. And then um, I uh, happened to put it on Facebook or something, and my old housemate I used to live with in Shepherd's Bush happened to have one. Um, but I think in the end I couldn't borrow... Did I borrow that one or did I borrow a completely different one from someone who makes YouTube videos about buses? I can't remember. <laughs> but uh, there were, like, two that I could have borrowed off different people. And, like, getting it back was... It, it was a real flashback memory lane i spent a good couple of days uh mucking about with it i was oh it was just like being a teenager again and being able to do things that you never thought were possible <laughs> with with a keyboard and some pseudo awful 80s samples <laughs> uh it was completely glorious yeah so good it was a massively entertaining talk and as soon as you did it Rue and I were just going we need to get her for the show we've got to get her on and here we are just nine we years are. later nine short years <laughs> but actually we knew we obviously we were well aware of you and your work before then too so it wasn't like we'd only just come across you I mean you've been around like I mean not saying that we're all really old or anything but Helen you have been performing for a really long time I think like I feel like you've started young and you have like a lot of experience of doing oh, this stuff i don't know I, I love how you said that um uh, i'm not saying we're old but i am triple boosted so <laughs> i'm not saying old but i've uh, got three covid vaccinations right so uh, i'm not saying i'm old but yes i have been doing comedy and silly songs for quite a long time uh i guess not that not actually that much longer maybe 
um, a few years more. I did a lot, like, I used to work for the BBC. I used to work for Radio 3, making programmes about harpsichords oh. and stuff. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> Which was, like... Was it making programmes? Were you producing them or hosting the presenters? I was them? only ever assistant producing. I used to work for yeah. proms for a bit, which was amazing, mm. um, at the Royal Albert Hall and stuff like that. It was, like, a, a fabulous, amazing time. But um, I decided that I wanted to... Uh, make stuff for myself that was a lot easier to make with smaller budgets uh, that in fact no one wanted to listen to uh, so I thought yay I'll go do that instead so I did and yeah so I've been writing comedy and songs and stuff like that for a while and um, for about the last it's actually I think it's 10 years now we've been doing Festival of the Spoken Nerd which is the thing mm. I do with Matt Parker and Steve Mould uh, who are respectively um, the UK's um, probably second best stand-up mathematician and uh, <laughs> the guy who used to do the experiments on Blue Peter, like yeah. science experiments on Blue Peter, about 11 years ago, and he just is still trading off the back of that. <laughs> um, so between us, we are the science comedy super troupe that uh, hasn't done any gigs for a year and a half. <laughs> People might remember you, listeners who, well, I, mean, I think most relatives probably do know very well who you guys are, but the um, one thing that we that I always say when I mention you guys is, they did that episode of QI where the sort of uh, science comedians came on and made people hold a cord. And I was talking about that to my dad, in fact, who doesn't know who you are. And he was like, oh, yeah, they're brilliant. And I liked it when Helen like was say, uh, they used to, you made some joke like, oh, you know, we've never electrocuted anyone before or like something like that. And, and my dad was like, that was amazing. He was, he was just like, you're immediately your super fan. <laughs> Some like dry quip that you made. It was one of my more understated performances. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. We uh, we ran an electrical cable through Sandy Toxvig, and uh, and I, I, you can't you can't use the word electrocuted. So it was it was a live um, speaker cable. Like so, if you cut a speaker cable in half and you know shave the ends off uh, i'm saying you need to do this under like fully risk assessed <laughs> circumstances and make sure no one has a pacemaker and you're using a very low uh it's not even a low voltage you need it's a low current you need mm. um uh, but um you can basically use humans as um speaker cable so if someone or number of people holding hands hold one end of this raw speaker cable and another one holds the other end of it one speaker cable's going off into like a music produce like a tablet or a record player or whatever and the other end is going out to a speaker the um because it's a simple electrical signal going through the speaker cable it travels through the people that are connecting these two bits of broken speaker wire um and it, it doesn't travel through your body it mostly travels through your skin uh so your body is about 70 percent water which is a great conductor of electricity um, and the sweatier you are the better so studio lights and slightly nervous celebrities is just oh it's it's catnip for electrical signals <laughs> so uh, so yeah we played some sort of a Scandinavian Christmas song through a number of um, slightly concerned celebrities But you've had exciting oh. lockdown, Layla, running around yeah. making hotels. I decided to open a, uh, a holiday let in the you know the tourist industry in the middle of a global pandemic where everybody was in lockdown. So that was a good idea. Um, <laughs> well, I, I decided before um, COVID, and then I bought the place on the day of the first lockdown in March. Was the day that I put my offer in. And I was like, oh, this isn't going to last. Now I thought what I, what my process was. I thought. It's there is there is going to be a lot of strife for the next few years. I sort of predict, you know, I had in my head that's probably what's going to happen. But people are going to want to go on holiday to places that are self-contained. That was my theory. That's like you know that you can get in. You know, there's a front door. You don't have to go past loads of other people. You don't have to deal with anybody. Uh, you can do it yourself. So I thought there'll be a market for kind of COVID-safe holidays. So there was a, like a bit of an, an entrepreneurial um, logic to it. And uh, yeah, it was basically empty for the first year. I had like three bookings or something and the whole 2020. And it's really expensive to keep a place empty because you're still paying like council tax and, you know, all the rates and everything and the internet just in case you get somebody. And then um, the last like eight months or something, it's been almost back-to-back -back bookings. So it's kind of made all the money back really quickly. So yes, it's it's a delightful thing to do. And it's all I want to do now. I don't I don't really have any creative urges anymore beyond just like, 
hosting people and giving them holidays. So it's delightful. It's like, I think people think, you know, you have to, once you kind of go down a creative route in life, um, you have to stay on that path. And it's like, well, I didn't always do, you know, I wasn't always making art stuff. I wasn't always doing creative work and I don't have to now. Like you can do it for a bit and then do something else and that's fine. But there are certain parts of the, certain industries that are quite resistant to the idea that it's not like a God-given thing that you have to stay with forever. forever and so, ever and mm, ever. Yeah. So the idea that some of your internal niches can be scratched through hospitality rather yeah, than creativity, exactly. that's really interesting. Really yeah, interesting. you're creating like an ex- experience for someone. You're creating yes. like an installation for them to live in for a week. Sort of, yes. Really? Yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I had that completely like, um, I sort of realised there was just going to be no work for me as a mm. majority performer um even the writing work and stuff like that because not a lot was getting produced or anything like that it was we, people were scrabbling around for any work they could get and I just thought oh, I'm just gonna have a nice quiet uh year while I look after this small person who you know seems to be demanding some attention and I took up like sewing clothes yeah. <laughs> completely randomly which I kind of always wanted to do, but like I became completely, I spent a year basically not doing any gigs, but now I just make all of my children's clothes and it's incredibly satisfying. And and it's, but it's also this thing of like creating something and like the problem solving and the decision making Mm. and the creating something that's actually quite speedy and tangible and that someone else is enjoying. Like I don't make stuff for myself because I'm like, well, I don't enjoy that much because all I see is what's wrong with it. Yeah. It would be like, be like making art purely for yourself I'm, I know some people do that but that's not me I've yeah. always made stuff for other people to enjoy that's yeah. my entire incentive to make stuff stuff that I like as well but if someone else isn't enjoying it I kind of feel like it's sort of a waste of time for me like mm. that's fine but yeah making something for someone else who uh massively appreciates it because they're five Uh, (laughs) everything's super exciting it's so exciting it's it's like a small tangible project it's got problem solving you learn new skills you know and i found it incredibly soothing thing i can now like make myself fall asleep if i work through a a sewing pattern in my head. Wow. <laughs> is that really oh, it's like a meditative, meditative thing as well. You can just think about it and it unwinds you. Do you have an overlocker? I do. <laughs> yes. That's that a super was exciting my, thing. My wife got an overlocker this year. And it's, yeah. it's amazing. Life changing. <laughs> do you have an overlocker, Rue? Tell me. Well, my wife does. Um, she makes <gasps> yes. as well. So I thought that you might have one. Um, at, at the stage of clothes cloth making, where you're making stuff for other people, then, uh, yeah, you, you sort of need an overlocker. Do you know what an overlocker is, Leila? I do. I, I remember overlocking at sewing lessons at school and always enjoying those machines the most right. of everything that we did. So I do well know what fancy. you mean. It's like yeah. a thing that does, it kind of does the edges, right? It's like a yeah. sort of amazing long stitch with a sort of seam along the edge, I think. Yeah, yeah if you want to join things up or do hems or... You, um, like take a T-shirt, the seam of that is sort of bound with thread. So instead mm. of having like raw edges on your... Especially on stretchy clothes, it's all about right. the stretchy clothes um, and it binds the edges for you, yeah. And it also goes at about 100 miles an hour. So they're like super scary to use. <laughs> and um, they also cut the fabric as you go along. Yes. So, yeah, they can do the trimming and the and the binding. And... So there's like a sense of danger about them. They're like, oh, <laughs> this could go horribly wrong. It's like the high wire of the sewing world. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I've pretty much been making princess dresses. I think my my pinnacle of achievement was making a, a dress for my daughter to go and see Frozen, the musical, oh, wow. like West End musical. Oh my gosh. Uh, she said, can I have a Elsa dress? Elsa has not been her favourite character so far. So this was kind of a big surprise. Wow. And then uh, we watched some uh, Elsa videos on YouTube and there's a costume change during Let It Go. Um, yes. where she goes from wearing like the coronation dress yes. you know what I mean like it's a yeah. black long sleeve green and black embroidered decorated it's like a sort of corset with long sleeves and a big fluffy skirt um, and then in the Broadway show in the musical it disappears and mm. there's like the blue shiny ice princess dress yes ice cream dress it's like amazing so they do this costume change on stage during the song yeah the way it works in the broadway version is there's a hole in the floor that opens up behind elsa and she puts her arms out and um someone underneath the stage (gasps) yanks the dress off (laughs) amazing behind her like 
and puts the, their yeah. arms through the new thing. Yeah, no, no, no. She's wearing it underneath. Oh, oh, okay, all right. So, so like, oh, it's it like a shell dress. Like the outer mm. dress is like um, and it's on like a quick release mechanism. So someone yeah. basically grabs the back of it and yanks it through the floor revealing like her underwear which is actually not her underwear it's like a blue ice dress so it's like pulled off like um like a like a like a bed sheet over a ghost right yeah (laughs) it's just just pulled off and there's also some fun stuff like when she takes one of her gloves off a little bit earlier it's on a string and it flies across the stage it's absolutely amazing it's like it's 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 absolute magic when it happens and i was like so Matty, my, my daughter wanted like a, a quick, she wanted a quick change dress. And I was like, oh, wow. um, I, I hate to break it to you, my love, but we don't have a hole in the floor <laughs> and a 50 person stage crew <laughs> to make this dream happen. But then we started looking online and there's, there's a version of Frozen, the musical in like a Disney park somewhere. Um, and you'll find it because if you look for Elsa quick change fail, uh, <laughs> you'll find <laughs> so funny I didn't think about it so much like there's a version of the Elsa quick change dress where like the entire ice dress is bundled up inside a a corset that the actress okay, is wearing yeah. mm-hmm. and then she pulls like I think it's called like used to, this is like a theatre where like a kabuki pull which mm. is where um uh there's a, like a bit of fish wire has been used to sew up the the gaps in the dress just really loosely mm. and it, it's all held in together and it, like she pulls this fish wire and the whole corset collapses mm. revealing the dress that kind of f- f- sort of flows out and f- flops over the rest of her and she also has to take a jacket off at the same time and it's like <laughs> there's a lot of fails where it just didn't, <laughs> didn't quite work in time and she's still there singing like let it go <laughs> still turning around this smoke and like snow and everything so i basically was like i think we can do that so now my daughter has like this this um jacket with a skirt and she can unzip it take the jacket off spin around and she turns into an, a nice princess and she genuinely thinks that i am like a magician now that is not the magic wasn't it yeah wow. that's the magic of an overlocker that could be yours <laughs> that's what solved it Hello you, this is Ian Lee and you're listening to Shift Run Stop on like an iPod or maybe a cassette. And I I feel like that's something that um, I didn't really think about much before lockdown and before getting sort of trapped at home and and stuff like that is is how powerful music is, especially Mm -hmm. like musical theatre, for putting you somewhere else and feeling like a flood of emotions of a particular time and place and a feeling that all comes back to you in in milliseconds when you hear something and it it it, it, it never I never really thought about it before and and when we were all stuck at home it's something I realized I like I needed more of and needed to cling to yeah because I'd sort of stopped having experiences so this was the only way yeah. to like feel what you feel when you have an experience and sort of see something vicarious see it all flood flood into her when she hears like yeah. a song from moana she literally is moana oh, like she Moana's is amazing. These people and it all oh. like flood, yeah. it floods into her and how it made her feel yeah. and all of that at once and i kind of went i need to i need to concentrate on it i need to do this more like i mm. need to find my versions of that yes. because with a year without so many experiences you sort of I don't know you forget how to feel stuff yes totally you don't have that you don't have the range of stimulation and just the coincidences and the accidents and you know all the things that happen when you're normally traveling around doing different things for sure does it make you in the same way that you've ended up making clothes for them does it make you want to write a musical for them I can see you going yes I'm now writing a musical of course you are of course you are literally I knew it I knew it I have the solution to lockdown induced postnatal depression it is writing a musical it is not a course of treatment I would recommend to everyone but it's there so yeah that's that's so yeah I mean I literally have no like gigs and stuff and we have no intention of starting up live events anytime soon even though like we people are asking and and stuff we're like i just 
No, I think I think there's there's quite enough live events happening without mm. us putting on our shows again. He really enjoyed um, the new uh, Mary Poppins. He's he's very much oh. into that. Moana was was great, although he didn't. It wasn't a long held appeal. It was it was you know a couple of watchings, and then um, yeah. And then I, I think he he feels like he's moved on from Moana. Mm. I tried him on. Um, Monty Python recently, uh, and he's still a tiny bit young for it. It's, it's just slightly. <laughs> he's probably about sixty years too young for it to be there. <laughs> well, I'm sure. I'm sure when I was about ten, I was I was really enjoying Monty Python's Flying Circus. Yeah. Uh, the thing I found with Monty Python though is like edited highlights of it are amazing, and but then if you watch entire episodes, you're just like, I don't remember some of this stuff. <laughs> Some of it's not great. It's yeah, some of it I didn't aged. want to say it's not great. <laughs> it's yeah, not, it's great. Not, not all of it has aged well. Some of it's just really boring. And um, yeah, he was playing Lego at the same time. So anything that was just kind of over his head or he didn't care about, he just tuned down. Yeah. But the animations, the Terry Gilliam stuff, he absolutely loves. Mm, like that That no, was instantly, you know, put everything else to one side, staring at the screen, laughing his little head off. You know, yeah. there's definitely some good stuff that's very, very kid friendly in there. Yeah, yeah. some of it's not language great. Stuff. I, <laughs> like I remember being obsessed with going around, like pointing at trees and saying "the large," like because <laughs> I'd never heard anyone say it like that before. And it's, I don't know why it's so funny, but like the language, like the playing with language, in a you know just weird and twisted ways, is just so satisfying. Yeah, it is. Yeah, some of the writing still stand up. Helen, did you? Who were your comedy influences then? Was was Monty Python one of them? When you, because I think we're all sort of the same age here. So anyone that you would have known, and we'll probably know who they are. Yeah. So, but Monty Python definitely. Mm. And like, um, I used to, I used to be obsessed with musical comedy. So like, even Flanders and Swan, who I had to introduce mm. my husband to the other day because they'd never really heard of Flanders and Swan. And it was mostly because we'd like we we had to get the a, a, a um, gas engineer out on a Monday, and I was like, ho ho ho! <laughs> There's a song about this, and he was like, I, I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, <laughs> I had to play him the gas man cometh, which is one of the uh, finest pieces of oh, circular yeah. comedy. This is from the 1950s. If people don't know Flanders, I'm just looking it up now, and it, like everything that's coming up is like 1957. So. This is quite an old school reference for someone so young, if I may say, Helen. (laughs) (laughs) They they were a musical comedy duo, um, but they, um, but actually I was looking at them the other day, they they were operating sort of between the late 50s and the early 60s, but even at that time, they were quite old school, because like, Mm. I was listening to their albums literally two nights ago, and there's a whole song about like the swinging 60s and how it's completely passed them by. So this was the same time as like, you know, um, rock and roll. The Beatles were late fifties as well. So even at their time, they were a, a parody of ye olde England music hall. Play, someone, uh, someone singing in a plummy voice, and someone playing the piano in a plummy voice. Um, it was even then a, a, a parody of like oldie worldie that doesn't exist anymore. Right. You mentioned Tom Lehrer earlier, and he seems yeah. to fit into that same category as well. He's kind of old before his time. And the, he's just handed over all of his songs to um, to be rights-free for the public, yeah. public yeah. domain, public Amazing. domain. Amazing. He's just handed them all over, um, wow. which is incredible because, um, uh, and it's really good for me because I sing one of his songs. <laughs> I never know how to deal with the rights for it. Um, it I think it allows it to be sort of unashamedly um clever clever because it it's not it's being a parody of what a a a clever person uh does even though that they know they're totally out of time and out of sync with everything else yeah he's unabashedly uncool even even that is most famous he's he's never kind of trying to be a cool kid yeah he's um yeah and really clever i mean I, i see a lot of um the the sort of overlapping comedy that you do because bringing sort of music and uh science and comedy together into into one thing so it seems to be something that he, he was doing early on and you, you've obviously taken in your own your own direction as well yeah I really love getting the trying to get the combination of thinking and feeling as well because there's sort of stuff to get across about something that is real and tangible and you can kind of learn something but 
combining it with something that makes you feel as well makes it I feel like makes it stick better and makes it an actual enjoyable um, thing to experience and it's like we were just talking about then it uh, um, uh, when you hear a song and it brings back like an emotion or an experience or a, f- a feeling and it's quite kind of difficult to create that when all you're trying to do is get across like information yeah you're looking for something deeper than either just purely educational yeah. and you're looking for something deeper than just purely funny like there's a yeah there's a thing that you, you want to touch people emotionally yeah I, I, when I see your your work, Helen, I always think that it's not really about trying to make people learn something in the moment. It's more making it fun to think about learning in itself. You know, like it's like, oh, I've just been thinking about that thing. And I haven't thought about that since school and I enjoyed that when we did that. And then you kind of go and it, it sparks something again in you. Where you go, oh, yeah, actually, I'm interested in that thing. But it's not like I now remember all the things in the periodic table because I just heard a song about it. So. <laughs> Especially when Tom Lehrer's Element song is in the most completely useless order of anything. It's in rhyming order. <laughs> no functional yeah. use. You know, like there's a couple of things. With, um, you know, there's another version by I think it's by a, is it by ASAP Science? I can't remember. This is someone on YouTube mm-hmm. has done a version which is in actual periodic table order, and that's the one all the kids know. Right. So anyone under about twelve knows that one because their <laughs> teachers showed it to them or they found it themselves on YouTube, right? And it's actually useful if you sing it you know even if you only sing the first 20 elements that's all you need for like a level chemistry you're done you're sorted it's really great <laughs> the tom Lehrer version is easy and also i i was did a i did my one show of the year my one in-person live like actual comedy gig um last last week and um there was a chemist there uh, professor andrea seller he's a uh, chemist at ucl he's a professor of chemistry incredibly knowledgeable but also brilliant communicator and we were talking about Tom Tom Lewis Elements he said I can't sing it I can't learn it I can't even listen to it bearing in mind we were in a gig together and I was about to go on stage so that was pretty sad (laughs) and perform it (laughs) there was at least one person in the green room who was like hands in ears going la 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 all the way through my gig right because for him every single element does exactly what we were talking about every single element he hears brings this like emotional Emotional and uh, like mental um, state, like every element brings stuff back to him. So it's not like hearing a song. For him, it's like sensory overload. And he he couldn't possibly, he tried, like he couldn't possibly ever learn that song because he'd just get distracted by every single element and and be like, these aren't, they're not, this makes no sense. Like as soon as you sing one element, there's so much attached to it. You're never going to get to the the next one. So yeah, I was so bizarre to find out someone who like, he appreciates that I did it and he enjoys the fact that it happened, but it was, did not do anything for him. In fact, it really didn't happen. I feel like it did too much for him. It's too, it's too, yeah, too stimulating. It's like, Rue, what would you be your equivalent with Lego? Would it be somebody like singing a song where they say every type of Lego brick really fast and then you'd just be like, (laughs) mate, Stop, my head's going to Hang explode with all the associations. Between them. You can't just like throw them in a random <laughs> order. You've got to yeah. sort them into tiny little sets <laughs> and tidy them up. We've got all the plates over here. What if it was someone just like building Lego really fast and carelessly? <laughs> Breaking the rules. Yeah, because speed, there are the rules. There's, yeah, there's of course there are. Of course. Uh, ways of building Lego. <laughs> that would be deeply unpleasant. It would be. It would It would put a lot of people, not just me, but other adult fans of Lego, right on edge. That would be very unpleasant. I can't believe you suggested it. Near, near the beginning, what if someone like um, got something fundamentally wrong that meant it just wasn't going to, it just, it just wasn't going to work? that someone had put exactly it just was you knew you got to the end and it was going to fall apart but you still had another five minutes to watch it's <laughs> 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 like watching a slow motion like ferry accident i don't know <laughs> there is a, a youtube channel of somebody who i think it's called bending bricks or brick bending um, and i find it really hard to watch because as the name implies a lot of what he does is illegal and uses bricks in a way that they're definitely not supposed to be used and leaves them in quite a lot of tension so he'll build a wall of lego bricks and then bend it back on itself so it's a curve you can't do that you're damaging them it really really gets to me 
really stressful. <laughs> oh, it is. It's, yeah, I don't recommend even looking it up. It will really it'll set your teeth on it. It's horrible. Oh, God. And now I, I really know how uh, Andrea feels. Now when I say that. <laughs> oh. Leila, what's yours? What's your stress? Um, I'm trying to think now. I have I've definitely got quite a few. <laughs> that quite on a quite regular basis. I feel really uncomfortable about things. Oh, I'll tell you one which my friend Sarah thinks is really funny. So Sarah, when we were when we were we didn't know each other when we were kids, but we both had quite a few My Little Ponies. And I found out that she actually had a hundred My Little Ponies when she was a child, which is like this. I know, extraordinary, isn't it? We should have talked about that when we had her on the show. Um, that would have been amazing. Uh, anyway, she. Um, but I was talking. I did a one-off podcast with her about My Little Ponies, and um, uh, I realised while I was talking to her that I find it very difficult to see toy animals that are not in colours that could exist in the wild. So um, My Little Ponies often come in like bubblegum blue with pink tails and manes and stuff. But I always wanted the ones that were in naturalistic, sort of naturalistic colours. You could sometimes have a coloured mane and tail, that would be okay. But I didn't like it if it was like, um, you know, a, um, yeah, like a blue or a purple or, a, you know, a green pony or something. Then it would be like, you've gone too far. No, keep it. I'm drawing the line with a green pony. I don't know why, but that feels wrong. What is that? I know. Yeah, it implies it's been dyed in some way. That's not. Yes, maybe that's it. Maybe it's like a sort of of like a biological response of like, oh, that that seems diseased. I don't want that one. Um, But um, yeah, so so things that sometimes yeah, when things are the wrong colours, that 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 does um, that does disturb me a bit. Yeah. This is Bill Thompson and. Way back in the mid-80s, I worked at Acorn Computers uh, in Cambridge. I worked in a building called the Silver Building, which was behind the converted old waterworks. And my desktop computer at the time was, because I worked at Acorn Computers, a BBC Micro. It it was a Model B with a whacking 32K of RAM, and so perfectly adequate for the task. I particularly remember the day we got a new laser printer, one of the very first Apple laser writers, and we realised that it had a meg of RAM and ran PostScript and the PostScript was just a programming language and so I had a timesheet application that I needed to write to keep track of my team and so I wrote my timesheet application in PostScript um, basically I used the BBC Model B as an input device to um, fill out a grid and then that grid went off as a PostScript file to the printer where all the calculations were done and the timesheets were printed off uh, because the printer was significantly faster and more powerful than the machine on my desktop. I really liked working at Acorn. It was a fine place. Uh, the day the ARM chips arrived and we got um, ARM co-processors and realised what real powerful machines they were, that was fun too. But that's for another time. Hit us with your Christmas quiz, Leila. OK, it's, uh, I've only got five questions so it shouldn't be too um, bad, but there, I've tried to find a range of questions. There <laughs> should go on too long. Um, this will be fine. <laughs> <laughs> this quiz is going to be, yeah. be good or short or both. Go, go. <laughs> we'll find out. <laughs> if it's not good, at least it's short. Uh, question one. The Nightmare Before Christmas was a hit among goths and normal people alike, based on Tim Burton's poem of the same name. What age was I when I first saw The Nightmare Before Christmas? Given what I know about you, Leila, which is that you're a bit weird, I'm going to assume that you saw it at an impressionable age. I think you saw it at like the age of six when you probably shouldn't have done. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think, Helen? I feel I feel like um, I'm, I'm not sure when that film came out, but I think by saying six, you're adding a number of years on <gasps> Layla's age that oh may God, or may it, it not be. It was in the be 90s that it came out. That's true. Yeah, that's true. It was in the early 90s that it came out. So you would have been, uh, you would have been, uh, well, Layla. I was, I was <laughs> going to say, I was going to say 12. I was going to say a similar like reasoning, but um, uh, possibly a more generous age. <laughs> Like, so I say 12. Like I think 12. <laughs> so we've got 12. And what, what's your uh, guess, Rue? I think six. six. I'm stand, standing firm. Even you though you think I was six in the early 90s. 
that's <laughs> I mean that is I, I'll take that I mean that's nice like I'll take the yeah the um you're you're making me a lot younger than I am um yeah so Helen wins that one for closeness it's actually it came out in 1993 so I was actually 14 and I saw it at the cinema with my uh, family that we were staying with at the time for that Christmas so 1993 Nightmare Before Christmas um, people still talk about it, though, don't they? Still like a is, Christmas is it good? classic. I don't. I don't. I, I don't. To happened. be honest, I don't yeah. remember particularly enjoying it. I was a bit like was a bit arty. <laughs> Not really my thing. Um, but I think people do like it, don't they? They find it very um, well crafted. It's got an eighty-two percent score on Metacritic, so it must be okay. And the main character is called Jack Skellington, so I approve of it on that basis. Skellington's a good word. Have you not seen it, Rue? I think so. I mean, mm. it hasn't stuck with me. So wow. I mean, I can't even remember if I've seen it or not. <laughs> so unmemorable. Wow. <laughs> Tim, Tim Burton, if he's listening, will be horrified that three people right in his corner can't even remember if they've seen his most famous film. So it didn't leave any impression whatsoever, <laughs> apart from the impression that Rue thinks you're a lot younger than you are, or a lot, or a lot older. I, or, yeah, or, I don't know. Or yeah. Question two. The animated movie Polar Express is famed for its strangely realistic rubbery people, often cited as an example of the uncanny valley in action. Which Shift Run Stop guest talked to us in detail about the uncanny valley? You're allowed to look at the list, Rue, in this um, instance. And uh, Helen Arnie also knows this person, so she's able to guess. Oh, okay. So um, we've had a lot of guests. A lot of them have done TV stuff. And a lot of them will have known about computer graphics and I'm just like, I'm, I'm, z- I'm zooming through your uh, it's a good list, isn't it, Helen? Do you know who it is, Helen? Is it, yeah, I know who it is. 100%. Is it LJ Rich? It's not. It's oh, somebody okay. who who has who has spoken about this stuff because they are sort of a researcher in this area. Okay, it's, I, it's not who I think it is. Is it? Oh, <laughs> Alex I'm less confident now. Is it Sydney Padua? Not Sydney. Good guess, though. Well, my first guess was going to be Helen Keane. Not, not Helen, but I, I, also a good guess. She's about Uncanny Valley in one of her um, comedy specials. I've um, uh, seen her talk about it, but she obviously did not bring it up with you. So is no. it... Um, uh, my second guess would be Sue Black. No. I thought this was a really easy one as well. I thought this is the person who is the only person I can think of. Can I have a third and final guess? Go on. Oh, no, I'm torn. You can have two more guesses, given we've had about 70-odd. It's either Sarah Anglis or Alex Krotowski. It, it's Sarah Anglis. Yeah. I think we already Very guessed nice. Alex, didn't you? Yeah, Sarah, she, she talks about it quite a lot because she was talking about her um, ventriloquist dummy and the way that she performs oh, with that, yes. if you remember. Yeah. Um, That's a great that, episode. That ventriloquist dummy is creepy AF. It's seriously yeah. <laughs> creepy. Episode nine, if anyone wants to refresh their memory and go back and listen to the Sarah Anglis interview. Absolutely brilliant. So good. Right. But Mm. I do not uh, endorse Polar Express. I don't think that's a good film. No, I don't really enjoy that one. I think Tom Hanks as a voice actor, absolutely fine, but they need to remake it. Even just use the same audio track, but just remake it now with better animation. I think that's what needs to happen for Polar Express. Mm. Polar Express Redux, I think, is what what 2022 needs. If anyone wants to commission that. Or maybe worse animation. Maybe like they should stop. They should go the other way on the uncanny valley, uncanny valley, and just make it like um, you know a sort of Wallace and Gromit type, just like a yeah, real, or the real... snowman. You know, you didn't you didn't have to aim for photorealism. Just make it abstract and weird. That's fine. Oh, speaking of the snowman, we should include in one of these Christmas bits uh, the YouTube, the audio from the YouTube video of the Iron Brew ads that use the snowman music. Um, because they're really Instagram funny. Do you see them really now? Oh, I've never seen them. It's probably your, your effect on my social media. <laughs> because it knows about you and Scotland. It started putting Andrew <laughs> adverts in my feeds. It's like the <laughs> fucking Omicron virus of the internet. Have you, Helen, have you seen these snowman ads? They're so funny. I have not. And <sighs> like now, now that we've said it out loud, I have a feeling that all the devices in my house will start feeding me. <laughs> <laughs> As they do. He was-
question three. Rue, I know you don't like the ones about actors, so I've made it really easy for you. Oh, I'm glad it's easy. (laughs) In the popular Christmas movie, Batman Returns, who plays the penguin? I want to say Danny DeVito. That can't be right. It's Danny DeVito. It's Danny DeVito. Yeah, of course it is. Danny DeVito in lots of makeup. That's a... Yes. Yeah, that's the fact that I only just knew. Okay, I feel fine. like you've got to switch off and let your subconscious name. The trouble is, Helen, when I've done that in the past, I've really humiliated myself. I'm, pleased, I'm very pleased with that, though. It's in there, subconscious. It's in there. You've absorbed it somewhere, somehow. Oh, there's one more quiz question. This one um, you can probably guess if you don't know it. Which famous Christmas movie house has recently come up on Airbnb? Very famous house from a Christmas movie. I'm sure I saw this the other day. Was it like the home, not, I was about to say home and away house. (laughs) That's not a film, is it? Uh, Home Alone. Home Alone, yes, true. Home Alone. Was it Home Alone? It was the house from Home Alone. You can now spain it. That was your your inspiration. That's very cool. Because they filmed it all in that house, didn't they? Wow. It was all filmed on location. Big though as well. I imagine that's quite a big house. Yeah. Um, And the family, I think, was still living in it when they filmed it. So, like, I watched a video with the the daughter and how she kind of befriended the older brother character, like not Macaulay Culkin, but the kid that played his brother. And she used to hang out with him in the bedroom and chat to him and stuff. But while they were filming, they just took over the house. The family just, like, moved into the back rooms. So they watched it all from their windows happening. It must be quite exciting as a child to watch that. Yeah. Yeah. That is pretty cool. Well done. Did they leave all the booby traps? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, probably. It's extra security. <laughs> <laughs> That's one Airbnb welcome for you. <laughs> Keep out the, the sticky bandits. <laughs> I love that thing that he made, though, with the shadowy silhouettes that rotated around the window. Do you remember that? The, oh, so it looked like there was a party happening in the front room with the shadowy people talking to each other. Can we have one that faces inwards? Like, so it feels like... <laughs> There's people in, in our houses having a good time. Just, <laughs> just for us. Just some friends. Just cardboard friends. Yeah. <laughs> like getting on a, like one of those like Swedish slow fire videos or something. Like yeah. you know, slow television. Just uh, like a, a, a video of a log fire that goes on for a really long time. Just nice comforting. Nice to have just some people around. Just humans. Yeah, yeah. just screens with it or just projections yeah. of humans in the room. That's so nice. <laughs> Could actually be a I tried thing, to watch one it? of those um, log fire videos on Netflix last year and it was much too short. It only lasted about an hour. It was really disappointing. <laughs> that is not long enough. Yeah, you're not supposed to sort of like notice that it's finished. It should just go on for many hours, surely. Well, you actually what you were just watching a log fire video, literally watching it. You start we didn't hallucinating. Have a fire in the house at the time, we were missing mm. it. So the previous house had an open fire, new house we moved into. It now has a log burning stove, but at the time it didn't. So we mm. thought we'd just put a little, you know, screen on in the corner. Uh, I wasn't expecting to have to, you know, go up every hour and, and tend to this laptop. That's not really what it's supposed to be like. Somebody else is supposed to be tending to my fire for me. In my you have to feed it some more, like, electrons. Exactly. Like, um, the button once yeah. an hour. It's not, not right. Hello, this is Simon out of Trev and Simon. Sorry Trev can't be here today, but he's dead. This is Shifter on Stop. Though. like the stuff that if you've seen Helen well as we've both seen Helen live like you can just see how you come to life when you're engaging with people in in reality like more you know I've, I've seen loads of performers and as, as most of us have I suppose and there aren't many that are at that level that you are Helen which I mean is a great compliment that you can just kind of straight away connect with the audience and you get out there and your stagecraft is fantastic and you just bring so much energy and straight away connecting with people and it's it's really genuinely inspiring to see and then just thinking about the position you're in now where you like it must be yeah, so difficult for you yeah I just can't imagine to look like this oh you could do you know street online twitch streaming or you could do like a zoom show or something but it's never going to be the same is it as physically feeling that presence yeah it, I don't know um, there's no, like what could, could you do have you thought about doing a digital thing or anything yeah I think at the, at the time when I could have done I kind of had others stuff going on <laughs> and also this, this thing about, I, I would have to learn that whole vocabulary a, a whole new vocabulary a whole mm. new way of doing things and mm. I'm I sort of just at the time as well we all thought oh this will be over soon we all mm. you know we had a we had a show that was in April just when lockdown started and we moved it 
<laughs> the, the theatre said, oh, we should move this. Um, we're going to move it to July. And we were like, sure, Amazing. yeah, it'll be well, oh, done by July. So <laughs> it's now, July, it's now been July. moved like an entire year. I'm kind of in a, in a mode where I don't have the energy to do things a different way. Yeah, yeah. That sounds so sad. But no, I'm sense. finding other ways. I'm finding other ways. I'm about to do my podcast with my boys as well. Oh, good, good. Podcast of Unnecessary yeah, the, Detail. The which, Leila, podcast. you recorded an episode for us which has never been released. Yes, I'm sure. Uh, we, we did a trial episode with you. We did a trial episode with Tom Scott. And we didn't release either of them. <laughs> so, uh, for, for a whole bunch of reasons. Um, but we put a series out. We managed to record a series just before lockdown. And we managed to put it out the end of uh, that year, I think. But now we're in the middle of recording a whole bunch of new episodes, oh, which is a different, it's a different thing. It's a different mm. thing. I'm also really, I don't know if you found this. I feel like the pandemic has made me want to do fewer things. I don't know if that's good or bad, mm. but from the perspective of previously, just doing absolutely everything and mm. as a freelancer you find it really difficult to say no to mm. anything especially if it sounds slightly interesting and so you end up doing everything 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 yeah and then being forced to have it to all stop I don't know whether it's a good or bad thing that mm. now I want to do fewer things and not be so stressed all the time mm. or is that mm. like not good <laughs> I don't no you're know. allowed you should definitely feel allowed to do that <laughs> Because it feels like like wrong. <laughs> I, I should be constantly stressed and constantly not have enough time to do anything and feel like I'm being productive because I'm doing a lot of things. Whereas actually, I feel like I'm not doing anything particularly well, um, or don't have time to enjoy them as well. Yeah, I think there's like a resetting going on, isn't there? It's like we're all trying to adjust to a completely different pace and everything not meaning what it used to, and all that sort of thing. Like, I think when you're saying that. What I understand that as is, is kind of not really having the future to worry about now. You know, you kind of like, I feel like with shows and writing and always doing speculative stuff and always trying to meet people and just constantly thinking, well, this will be really good because, you know, maybe in two years' time that person will remember me or that will lead on to this. And you're constantly trying to build this stock for like the next few years um, of opportunities and stuff. And now it's just like, well, who the fuck knows what's going to happen in three years? Like, why would I bother? Um, even if those opportunities were there, there'd be like, there's no point putting the energy in at all. And it just completely loses its appeal. It's like, yeah, no, I don't really know. I mean, everyone, but there's a joy in that as well because it frees you and it just makes you think, well, everybody is now just pretty much living in the moment because no one knows what's going to happen. So we have this like, I mean, this has got a bit deep, hasn't it? But <laughs> there's like a, a freedom in being able to just, know that we're all on the same page I suppose and there's nobody who's who's got any more idea than anyone else what's going to happen and there's something quite nice about that because um, it kind of levels things when you always feel like you're trying to catch up so I don't know if that makes sense but that that's kind of where I am I think I just feel like that's fine doesn't matter don't don't need to make stuff all the time you don't need to, like you can you can as long as you're doing something that's maintaining a basic level of mental health, like that's kind of the most <laughs> we can hope for, I sometimes think. And I have to make an Encanto uh, dress based on Maribel uh, from the new Disney film. I mean, oh, that's amazing. going to keep me busy all of January. Cause <laughs> it's a project, that's brilliant. There, there is a lot of uh, detailed embroidery to do on the top, so I'm awesome. looking forward to that. <laughs> <laughs> It seems extraordinary. Computers can express the whole of human knowledge, which we will symbolise by a pair of spectacles. My parents were quite, like, very keen for their three daughters to learn about computers. But also, it was a kind of family where we weren't allowed to watch Neighbours until we were 15 because it was too sexual. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> oh, so that's so I actually looked up all of the BBC micro games I can remember playing. So we had a micro, my, I've got a sister who's four years older than me. So I think we got a micro like literally as soon as it came out. We're talking like early 80s. So 
at the time I looked up the games that I can remember, uh, Sheepdog Trial, Ski Jump and Hopper. And I looked them up today, Whoa. like trying to get my visual memory of what those games were. Yeah. Um, was was Hopper a bit like Frogger? It was, was a, a it was a Frogger clone. Yeah, yeah, I definitely yeah. had had a Frogger knockoff. Right. Definitely. Wow. Um, and uh, I'm pretty sure that um, all of those games my parents um, allowed through because no one shot anyone or had to beat anyone or competition or anything like that. The first time I saw like a beat 'em up game was when I was about. 14 at my cousin's house and played Mortal Kombat and I was like this is the wildest thing I've ever seen in my entire life um, because I've literally been sh- playing Sheepdog Trial up until this point. <laughs> I had the same, so. Exactly the same reaction I think it was like Streets of Rage or one of those you know early uh, beat-em-up games like you know a long time before Street Fighter but it was still having to progress by by hitting people instead of just mm. by solving interesting puzzles or flying a spaceship up and down around the mountains yeah. and I remember thinking this this shouldn't be allowed. I shouldn't be allowed to see this. Yeah. <laughs> this is so wrong. This is it's so too old for me, mummy. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, the, my parents were so keen that we all become familiar with computers, uh, mm. um, but it within certain, like, very strict boundaries. Mm. Um, but, yeah, just even seeing, like, the beige box... The metal beige box, they're like feeling the, the like the cold and the, the coldness of the metal and like the tape with the tape tape machines and like hearing those noises is just yeah, it's a it's a total flashback. Did you have one at school as well? Did you have like the educational classroom one? Yeah. We did. Did it play like had a thing called like POB or something? <laughs> yes. POB. I think somebody sent us that as a memory as well. Yeah. Um, POB could do certain right. things but couldn't do other things. Can, yeah, yeah, we yeah, spent a lot of time trying in. to get POB to set fire to himself. <laughs> POB can't do that. Um, can POB jump? Yes, POB can jump. Can yeah. POB self-immolate? No, POB cannot <laughs> self-immolate. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> we didn't have pop. We just had. I, th- I don't. I think we just had Granny's Garden. Like this. This comes up again and again. Granny's Garden. How nightmarish it was. How difficult to play. And how uneducational. <laughs> uh, the terrifying witch that Rue and I were talking about the other day. I've just remembered. That's just come back. Yeah, with a big hook nose, and the apple trees. Oh my gosh! That's just come back to me. That's a flood of horror. Granny's yeah. How did they let that in schools? <laughs> Like your incredibly innocent childhood where you weren't even lads where it's like, oh my God, a picture of a witch in two dimensions. The graphics on this is absolutely <laughs> impossible to watch. So realistic. This, this is worse than Squid Game. The witch from Granny's Garden. <laughs> Have either of you seen the, the Virtual Beeb emulator? Just yes. quite recently announced. It's yes. really good. Guys, this is virtual.bbcmic.ro, <laughs> which is fun. And probably the reason our um, internet connections are all suffering as soon as we just, loaded that one up. Click, it's click. Got, it's got Repton as a, as a built-in thing. It will play pretty much any BBC Micro uh, game, but it will um, it, it has some built-in into the load menu that you can you can kind of enjoy the uh, the visceral feeling of having a BBC Micro in front of you with all of That's the beautiful nice. beautiful reflections and everything. I feel like the sheepdog trial game has come up before. I've definitely seen this, um, but I don't for some reason don't have it and have never played it. Despite having a sheepdog, I feel like I should definitely get into this. It feels like something that would be very much of your I think as a like a child, it was incredibly um, difficult and frustrating because the sheep wouldn't do what was, well the sheep wouldn't do what you thought they should do but they were running whatever algorithm the sheep were running yes. and I feel like now I would find it incredibly soothing probably not too difficult to like get the program listing up and decrease the number of sheep and increase the number of sheep dogs as well so you can have a <laughs> you, know, you can have a brace of dogs and like yeah you can have, like, just the one sheep dogs. surrounded by sheep dogs <laughs> yeah. I think that would feel quite stressful though for the sheep <laughs> what have, they too many sheep dogs <laughs> many sheepdogs spoil the flock
I've got a ukulele here. Um, I tried to think of a Christmas song and realised um, there are no Christmas songs that I've written that I can still remember how to play. <laughs> apart, from, apart from this one, which um, is not actually Christmassy. But I think, um, I think as I suggested it to you, Leila, earlier today, you went, yeah, it's got ice in it, I'll do. <laughs> uh, this is a love song from the future. Darling, it's our wedding anniversary next week. My gift for you is carefully chosen. It's perfect for the couple who have everything. I'm getting us both cryogenically frozen. So it's you and me and Walt Disney and we're dancing and singing in the 25th century. We're living the future held together by sutures. Ice cubes forming in our brains. Industrial antifreeze running through our veins. So I've looked into this quite carefully and it turns out there's a lot of contradiction. Disney on ice isn't literal and that episode of Doctor Who was fiction. So it's you and me but no Walt Disney, just some baseball players and 70s hippies. Don't shake their hands cause you'll get more than you planned. And please stop flirting with your great 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 granddaughter's friends. Just want to please you. Just want to freeze you. But you don't seem too overjoyed, my love. But it's too late to get a refund. And the truth is that I never liked your body much so I have only paid to get your head done don't have a seizure it's just a So it's you and me in the 35th century I'll keep your brain in a mechanical jar On wheels first cryonic, then bionic And we will be together Though our skin will be like leather But at least we'll be together again Darling, don't complain It's just liquid nitrogen Some people say that I've got more money than sense. Truth is that I have neither. I bought a package from some cut price cowboys in Russia who didn't put a door on your freezer. You were so lovely. Now your brain is slush puppy. So it's just me. At minus 200 degrees, I'm waiting for the 40th century. I have no regrets, except not wearing a vest. And maybe I should just have bought you that discount home cremation kit instead. I think my ukulele's out of tune, but there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. You've been listening to Shift Run Stop. Shiftrunstop.co.uk. I'm in computers.